We've just started a new series last week called Warnings, What Not to Do with Your Faith. Because as we all know, faith is one of those things that can be used for good, but can be manipulated a little and can be used for our own benefit. It starts off as something that's pure and godly and righteous. And then we realize that we can actually maneuver and manipulate our world using the same principles that are, that are given to us in Scripture. And the bottom line is this. It's your choice what you do with the principles that you are taught. Any, any human being knows how to take a truth and just tweak it ever so slightly to conform to our will. So the principles of faith are presented all over the world in all sorts of ways, but we often see them and think, is that, is, that really, is that really godly? And so the bottom line is this. When we look at this book of James that we've been speaking through, it's this incredible, um, it's like a fine jus. It's like, it's like boiled down to the greatest things you need to know about the faith. Because when it comes to discernment and wisdom that Pastor Stan spoke about last week, we need that every moment, every minute, every day. Because we need to discern between what is right and what is wrong. But here's what the Scripture actually says about itself. It says that it is righteous, able to pierce between bone and marrow and get to the Spirit. So every weekend we gather together and we open up the Word and we say, what is the Scripture speaking to us? And then we ask each person within hearing distance of, of our voices to actually go away and sieve what they have heard to sieve it and see what the Holy Spirit would reveal to you. And so we start our, we start our, our day by, by reading the Word and letting God speak to us because if we don't, we let the world speak to us. We let opinion speak to us. We let feelings speak to us. And we don't have the ability to stop and go, is that actually God speaking to me? So I'm hoping that everyone that hears this Word today actually becomes encouraged, challenged certainly, but encouraged to use your faith in the right way, in the right way. I, I, I sort of, I, I, I think this set of verses, we're going to look at James chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles, James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. We're going to talk about 10 verses, two lessons and one reason. 10 verses, two lessons, one reason. So if by the end of this talk, you've got, you know, less than that, you've missed out on something, that's okay. We have the notes. You can jump onto the app and you can check out the notes. In fact, if you jump on now in the live service right now, you can check out all of the notes and you can read ahead and get exactly what's going to be said. Uh, and of course, if you're um, wondering how we started this series, you can go back and watch the YouTube channel and catch up on all of these things. You can listen to the podcast. You can do a lot of things to enhance the way this is actually going to be captured by your head, heart, body, mind. So Okay, but here's the question. What do you want? What do you actually want? Isn't that a great question? I do ask that of my children after they've given me 47 different opinions. And I look at them and whether I verbalize it or not, my eyes are usually screaming, what do you want? I don't understand why the pink socks weren't okay and the yellow socks weren't okay and now you don't have any shoes at all. What do you actually, you know, you get the four types of cereal out. Four types of cereal, milk there for the breakfast. And they say, I want eggs. <laughs> That's life, right? So but we stop and we ask ourselves, what do, you, what do I want? What do I want? And, and I was listening this week, I was reminded of one of my favorite records by a guy called Rich Mullins. All the old school people in the house, Rich Mullins wrote, a, wrote an album called Liturgy Legacy in a Ragamuffin Band. One of the greatest pieces of songwriting ever put together on an album. An album, kids, is where there's 10 songs in a row. And you, anyway. <laughs> Liturgy, legacy, and ragamuffin man. So I like, I like the feel of that. And I thought, what is it we want? Well, most of us do want a legacy. Somehow there's part of us that wants a legacy. We want love. And of course, we want legions of fans. 
And you're going, Jazz, I don't want legions of fans. And I'm telling you, I think you do. I think you want people that tell you you're good. I think you want people that tell you you're ace. You're amazing. And you don't just want one of those people. You want a whole bunch of those people. Hands up who's got a whole bunch of those people. <laughs> There's a few people that put that. Well done you. Well done you. All the kids in the house just put their hands up. I love that. I love that. I love that. Legacy, love, and legions of fans. But when it comes to a legacy, we worry about people remembering our name. And so the warning is, why do you want a legacy? Why do you want to be loved by the other people around you? Why do you need legions of fans? And so what do we do? We go to the Scripture and we ask the Scripture what it says about these very things. Psalm 8 is a beautiful psalm and it starts with this phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not my name, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It speaks to the beauty of His creation. It speaks to the fact that He has put us just a little lower than the angels and He's already glorified us and He's already given us identity. So why would we look for a legacy in anything other than His name? Because trying to get my name onto the library door or whatever it is I'm trying to do doesn't really make a lot of sense. And it takes a lot of hubris to believe that you can do that. Most people who are honoured in that way are honoured in that way, not because they push for it, but because at the end of their life, somebody recognised the contribution that they made. So I say to you, relax. It's not something to strive for, for people to remember your name. Use your life to help people know His name. That's where the legacy actually starts. Love, love is an easy one. Anyone that's been in church or around Sunday school for a while knows this one really, really well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength and with all your mind. I just read that around the wrong way because my memory verse did it differently to that. Anybody else do that? It's okay. But it's a whole person. It's everything you are, your emotions, your will. Every part of you starts the day with, oh Lord, our oh Lord, how majestic is your name. That's the legacy. And then it says, I will love you with all of who I am, with all of how I'm feeling, I will love you. And that's where the love is returned. And it's this beautiful cycle where you start the day by raising his name up and receiving his love. And then the legions of fans, well, guess what? That's when it comes to Jesus. And Jesus said these really famous words. They were just quite simply, come, follow me. Come follow me. It's a really simple thing. And sometimes the fundamentals need to be reminded to our hearts because we overcomplicate things. You start with Jesus' name. You start with praising the Lord's name and lifting His name on high. That's the legacy. You remind yourself to love the Lord of God, your God with all of who you are. And that's where the love comes from. And when it comes to fandom, don't even worry about it. Follow Him and He will get other people to follow you. Because you know what the outcome of following Him is? Other people follow you because he'll make you fishes of men. That's how that works. Isn't that encouraging? Give yourselves a hand. Well done, you guys, for getting that. Well done, you guys. Okay, let's get into it. James chapter 4, 10 verses, two lessons, one reason. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes it? Do you actually know what causes it? For most of us, the answer is simple. The other guy. Yeah? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Oh, that just hurts, doesn't it? It was going to be the other guy's fault. Turns out it might be mine. Verse 2. You want something, but you don't get it. 
You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. You start with your own desires. That's where the quarreling and the fighting comes in, because you're trying to get your desires in front of somebody else's desires, and that's a fight straight up. That's a fight straight up, because now it's your will versus another person's will. So verse 2 basically says, you want something, but you don't get it, because you don't ask with the right heart. By the way, kill and covet go together. You're like, Pastor Justin, I'm not a murderer. Well, there's certain things that you're killing off to get your own way. Yeah? To get your own way, you have to push a bunch of stuff out of your way, right? You need to kill it off. Some of you learnt to survive by doing a bit of bullying. Most of us have that skill. Hmm? Most of us have that skill. And we call it a survival skill, and it kind of is. It kind of is, because to get through to tomorrow, sometimes you're just like, I'm just going to beat down the other person so that, I get, so that I get a little bit of a head start. It's a survival skill, but it's not godly. You quarrel and fight, you do not have, because you do not ask God, because you haven't started your day the right way. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is a really encouraging word, isn't it? <laughs> Remember, God will give you the desires of your heart if your heart is set on Him. The desires of your heart have to do with protecting yourself and getting yourself ahead. So we need to learn to discipline ourselves, to glorify His name first, get ourselves out of the way and all that sort of stuff. You adulterous people. Well, that's just kind, isn't it? Who writes these kinds of letters? If James had written you this letter, would you have just written return to sender? Really? Really, James? What a sweet message. Not even any emojis to make it, to put a smiley face beside it. You adulterous people. What's an adulterer? An adulterer is anyone that puts an idol in front of God. That's it. Bottom line. Okay? Adulterous. They will have no other God before me. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? That sounds really harsh. But he's not talking about loving people. He's talking about loving the pleasures of the world, which is the enemy's way of putting things in between you and God. This is not a hatred of people. This is a hatred of the things of the enemy that get between you and the goodness of God. You adulterous people, you don't know, you, uh, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Are you encouraged yet? All right, let's keep going. Verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused, uh, caused to live in us envies intensely? You've read that as the jealousy of God. The jealousy of God is I, you put no one before me and I'm going to put no one before you. I'm so jealous for your attention. I'm so jealous for you to recognize me as your creator and your director and the one that makes your path straight for you. I'm so jealous for that, that I don't want you to be friends with the world. I want you to start with a, being a friend of God. And then you have, to, you have to acknowledge this brilliance of who am I that you would think of me, that you would think of man. Do you know where that's from? That's from Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. I am a friend of God. What a phenomenal thought. Verse 6, but he gives us more grace. And that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace, but gives grace, but gives grace, but gives grace to the humble. So what's the answer? Submit yourselves, verse 7, then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's just stop there for a second. <clears throat> 
Because for some of us, we're like, ah, devil, I don't like talking about the devil. I don't like talking about evil. There's actually an action point for you where you need to start the day, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. And that's going to start you on the right footing of understanding who you are, having an identity in Christ, knowing that the creation was given to you so that you could actually look after it. And if you start there, you can resist the enemy. Because the enemy is quite simply going to tell you exactly what he's told humankind forever and ever, which is your desires are fine. Don't even worry about them. In fact, don't even control them. Just let them go. Your desires are natural. Go for it. It's fine. We read on. Verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I told you it was an encouraging scripture. Pastor Stan gives me these ones and then goes away. That's what he does. He's like, preach this, Jazz. Go for it. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Well, what he's saying is the laughter and the joy that you're talking about is laughter and joy that you've synthesized. It's, it's not laughter and joy that's come from the pleasure you take in being in the presence of God. It's laughter and joy that you've taken to, to have just a moment, to have a moment. Because that's what sin does. It's just a moment and it disappears. And it's just a moment and then it disappears. And it feels fun. And, and you know, you tell those stories of when you messed up one night back at university or whatever you want to, wherever, I don't want to point to anyone. I'm looking nowhere. And you tell those stories as if they're funny. But at times, within that crazy thing that you did, you felt scared, you felt pain, you felt in danger. And then you tell the story as if, oh, it was just fun, we all just did stupid stuff and it was fine. And you can only tell that story because you're still here to tell the story. But I wonder if we told it like, I ignored God, I went and did a bunch of dumb stuff, and then I realized the presence of God was so much more beautiful than anything that I could achieve by myself with my own desires that I came back to God and I did what verse 10 says, which is humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up. If you're, if you're feeling down, he will lift you up. If you're feeling flat, he will lift you up. Not the pleasures of this world, not those instantaneous kicks that you're looking for. Whatever, whatever, your, whatever your kind of uh, self-centered nature leads you towards, turn the other way. And say, God, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm going to start my day there. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to humble myself. It says, wash, wash your hands, you sinners, and humble yourselves. In other words, we need to wash up, kneel down, and listen. Because washing up is an admission that I have some guilt here. Kneeling down is a position that says, I will honor you. And listening is exactly that, waiting for God to speak, to guide, to direct, to lay the path out in front of us. His word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And that's why we read it. Now, when it comes to pride, it's a weird kind of word. Because, because pride sort of sounds like one of the seven deadly sins, right? Sounds like that. But it's also something we tell our children to do. You should be really proud of yourself. Wow, what a great painting, even though it's not. That cake tastes amazing. You should be really proud of your cooking, even though I want to spit it out. We want to do work that makes us feel a sense of pride. We want to have a sense of pride about ourselves. 
So let's just, let's just talk about how confusing the English language is for just a moment, and we'll delineate the two. There's an amazing bit of research done called, uh, the, by, by an, um, a scientist in the American journal, the Scientific American, it's called. It says, pride, it brings out the best and worst in humans. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? So there's two types of pride. There's hubristic pride, and there's authentic pride. This is how they delineated the two. Hubristic pride, hubris is described as arrogance and danger. That's what hubristic pride is. It's dangerous to have this kind of pride. You might call some of the world leaders that we've got at the moment a little bit on the hubristic side. So there's hubristic pride, which is all about me. All about making sure I get my own way and then there's authentic pride. And here's some of the insights that came from this article. It says, we and other researchers uh, have further learned that two types promote different behaviours using questionnaires tailored to exploring pride. We found that individuals who frequently feel authentic pride have high self-esteem and tend to be extroverted, agreeable, creative and popular. And these individuals also report wanting to help and advise others. They are generally, wait for it, communally orientated and more likely to engage in volunteer activities. In contrast, people with in people who frequently feel hubristic pride have low self-esteem. They tend to be disagreeable, aggressive, manipulative, socially anxious, and even clinically depressed and more interested in derogate, derogating others than helping them. Does that sound like a bit of a description of what the church should be and what the church shouldn't be? It should be a community that brings people together, not pushing each other down, but lifting each other up because there's room, there's room on the top deck for all of us, right? So it's, it's just interesting when the science backs up what you already know. In short, dominance, just like prestige, because prestige is another thing we try to get from hubristic pride, helps us to get our way and influence others. Hubristic pride gives people the necessary push to behave like arrogant jerks, which can win them power at the expense of friends. Like it or not, it, plays to, it pays to be a bully, and not only in the prison or the schoolyard, even in a group of high-achieving college students trying to solve a puzzle, which is what this paper was about. But here's this. Pride is what compels us to aim high rather than simply get by. So there's a good version of this. And in that sense, it's a virtue. Yet pride also has a darker side, which is what James is talking about, a facet that has earned it a billing as a deadly sin. As the emotion underlying narcissism, pride should promote aggression, hostility, and conflict. As the emotion also underlying self-esteem, pride should spur achievement, perseverance, and caring for others. Achievement, persevering, and caring for others. Do you know what? I love it when a scientific paper backs up what is already understood by those who have read a little bit of scripture. It says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved. Wow. Divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies 
of community. <laughs> Told you we were getting encouraged today. I could go on, says Paul, but this isn't the first time I've warned you. You know if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Here's the idea. <laughs> you can create community through all sorts of manipulation. And people have done it. And you've been involved in communities where you think, if I don't do it, everyone's going to get mad with me and it's horrible. But they're ugly parodies of community. You know what sin is? Sin's an ugly parody of true pleasure. It's fake. It's an ugly parody of true, pre of tr true pleasure. So, should you seek pride? It doesn't mean that hubristic pride is a good idea. It can cost friendships, relationships, and even mental health. Again, this is from scientific research, but it's ringing true because you understand it. It's just understood. Authentic pride, however, is different. It's critical. Without it, we would not be motivated to reach the highest peak of success. Authentic pride can be safely sought and nourished. In fact, accepting that pride is an important human motivator may allow us to pull off even greater feats. Do you want to be proud of your church? Do you want to be proud of your life group? Do you want to be proud of your family? Do you want to be proud of the communities that you belong to? That's the kind of authentic pride that comes from giving God's name the glory that it absolutely deserves. So, James 4 verse 1, it says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What's the fight you're in at the moment? I just put it to you this way. I don't think it's the other guy. I don't think it's the other girl. It starts with us. Of these 10 verses, verse 1 sets it up. What's the fight about? What's the fight about? What's the fight about? What do you do about the fight? Well, that's easy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So you go through those 10 verses and you realize the fight's internal. And the answer is internal. So the takeaways are this for me. The two lessons. Follow. Jesus said, come follow me. Love. Jesus taught us, love the Lord your God. And remember, remember to glorify his name. Then just repeat that. Follow Jesus. Love the Lord your God. Remember to glorify his name. And then just repeat that. Follow Jesus, love the Lord your God, and remember to lift his name high. That's the starting point. That's the first lesson. That's the ability to get in this right position, to take pride, actual pride, authentic pride in your position, which is to wash up. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I recognize that. To take a knee. That's the position of humility. That's the position that gives him authority. That's the position that allows me to stop thinking about myself and realizing that he is in control and he is going to guide my life. And then I will listen. I will listen for the whisper of the Holy Spirit. I will listen when I am in worship. I will listen when I'm in the gathering of the saints. I will listen when I'm reading through the word. And I will start there because starting as a friend of the world doesn't really help. 
You will become more useful to the world around you if you start in this place. What's the problem? Where's the fight at? The fight is internal. What's the answer? The answer is humble yourselves. The answer is internal. James 4 says, it just reminds us that the outcome, the overall reason that we do this is so that we can get to the end of that Lord's Prayer and say, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because what's the problem with our world? The problem with our world is they don't know that there's a God who loved them, cares for them, and wants them to stop fighting. Just stop fighting. But it's hard because we are naturally wired towards hubris. We are naturally wired towards looking after ourselves and pushing others down so that we get the front of the line. But the gospel is upside down. It's backwards. It's reverse from everything that you think is what your, your human desire should be. And so many of us have already heard this message a thousand times and yet we hear it again and we're like, oh, that's right. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Who am I that you would think highly of me, that you would be a friend of me? Go into Psalm 8 and read it. Pastor Stan reminded us last week that wisdom leads to humility and humility leads easily to good works. Leads easily to good works. That's the outcome. So here's my challenge for you this week. In the notes, in the online notes and in the app and in your life group notes, I'll have a link. <laughs> to another little scientific thing from Penn University that allows you to click through a few anonymous questions. Jody and I did it together and uh, tells you which of the deadly sins, by the way, deadly sins is not a biblical thing, it's just a list of sort of the major ones that we acknowledge. But it tells you which of the deadly sins you might have a predilection towards. It's kind of fun. My wife and I did it and we, 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 we had a chat about it and I said, babe, honestly, hun, I said there's forgiveness for you too. She slapped me and we're still in love, it's fine. <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. Real simple. Get Psalm 8. Mark it in your digital Bible, in your physical Bible. And every morning this week, read it. Before you read or listen to anything else, read Psalm 8. It's about 10 verses, you'll be fine. You can handle it. Read it in whatever version you like, but read it. Read it every single day this week. And I want some of you to report back to us through the week. Uh, report back to us on Saturday. I read it and this was the outcome. Give us, give, us a, give us an understanding of if it's helped you. Do it in your life groups. Read it out loud. Sing it. Whatever you've got to do. If you're a beatboxer, put a beat on. Wrap it. I don't care. The good thing about Psalms is they didn't come with chord charts. You just do it how you want to do it. It's fine. But remind yourself that the two lessons are really, really simple. You need to love, <laughs> remember, and follow. Or follow, love, and remember. You need to wash up, take a knee, and listen. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together and speak about your word. Lord, I thank you that your goodness is always running after us. Your goodness is always there to lead and to guide us and to make us safe each and every day. Lord, I know that I'm not talking to people who feel like they're full of pride, but I know that we're speaking to our hearts about those things that get between us and you. 
So Lord, help us to be reminded of your beauty, of your grace, of the wonder of your presence that you allow us to walk in every single day. We know that the scripture says that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So I pray grace over each one of us. I pray that we would be reminded that your name is above every other name. You are our sustenance. You are our sustainer. You are our redeemer. You are our savior. You are our king. You are our son and our shield. You are the morning star. Lord, I just thank you for everything that you are. And I pray that our hearts would be reminded of it so that the quarrel stops being with us. But we start laying our burdens down at your feet and asking you to give us grace as we submit ourselves to you and humbly walk forward this day. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Thank you.